0: Today, our guest on Personally Speaking is Bob Keeler, a journalist who has won the Pulitzer Prize for his writing on the Catholic Church. Please stay with us. And welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Asante, and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Robert Keeler joins me now. Bob began working as a reporter for Long Island's Newsday in 1971, covering local government. He then went on to start covering in the 70s uh, both state and national political coverage before then becoming, in 1993, the religion editor for Newsday. Among the stories he covered were papal visits in, to Denver in 1993, and to New York in 1995. He also spent 18 months writing about daily life in a Catholic parish, St. Bridget's, in Westbury, Long Island, New York. And that series won him a Pulitzer Prize for Beat Reporting in 1996. In March 2000, Bob served on a Newsday team covering the pilgrimage of Pope John Paul II to the Holy Land. He and his colleague Paul Moses wrote a book about that pilgrimage called Days of Intense Emotion, Praying with Pope John Paul II in the Holy Land. Currently, Bob is working on a book about attitudes toward the military called Sacred Soldier, The Dangers of Worshipping Warriors. Bob is married to Judith. They are the parents of two adult daughters, Rebecca and Rachel, and the grandparents of five children. Bob is here with us today to talk about his life, his journalistic career, his faith, his values that sustain him. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, award-winning journalist Robert Keeler. We, we welcome Bob Keeler onto the program, Personally Speaking. Bob... Um, we were joking about this beforehand. You are a, uh, a winner of a great prize. Now, we debated, do you say Pulitzer or do you say Pulitzer?
1: It's Pulitzer.
0: Yeah, that's what I thought. Thank you. I told that to Lisa, which, no, it can't be that. Most people, as you know, call it the Pulitzer Prize, but they're wrong. And you won it. Congratulations many years later. Bob, first question, because I want to talk about uh, something I think you've probably given a lot of thought to, which is the whole experience of the pontificate of, of Pope Francis. Um if you had to identify him because i find this a fascinating debate in the church is he a liberal slash progressive is he a conservative or is he something in the middle
1: i would say something in the middle leaning progressive okay uh you know i know that you know, uh, paulo maria Vigano uh would tend to differ with that and raymond burke and so on they would think he's uh, some kind of a flaming liberal uh, yeah. i don't think so i think he's done a lot but I have some things I'd still like him to do. And I'm sure other Catholics feel the same way.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. Some some people have written, people I respect, that they while they like him, they find it to be a bit of a tease that he goes so far but no further. So, for instance, we were talking, remember, a few years ago about would he reopen the possibility of studying a, a female diaconate and nothing came of that? Or, yeah. or the possibility of ordaining men for the Amazon? Uh, nothing so far has come of that. Why do you think he opens these issues up, if, if not to in some way resolve them?
1: I think he doesn't want to stir the pot to such a large extent that it's going to make people exit the doors. Mm. Uh, unlike Ratzinger, who would have been happy with a smaller church, and so far he succeeded succeeded in that. As you know, the largest uh, single denomination of Christians in the United States of America is former Catholics. And, you know, they've left for a variety of reasons. Um, Much of it having to do with homiletics, bad homilies on Sundays. And that's one thing that Francis can do, by the way, that I think he should do uh, about women that he could do like that with the stroke of a pen, and that's Canon 767. So the Canon 767 is the one that says, in order to preach the homily at Mass, Mm -hmm. it's reserved for deacons and priests, which means, of course that you have to have testosterone flowing through your veins in order to preach. And, you know, as well as I know, uh, and Andrew Greeley has talked about this a lot in the past about a lot of the exodus from the Catholic church has to do with bad homiletics. Mm. And, uh, you know, you being the pastor don't have to sit through a lot of the bad homiletics. I'm sure some of it happens in your, you're in the rectory or you're, you know, in this sacristy, but you're not listening most of the time. The rest of us, we get it every week, 52 weeks out of the year, plus eight, plus all of the Holy Days of Obligation. Mm
0: -hmm. And, you know,
1: 100% of the bad homilies I've ever heard have come from people with testosterone in their veins, (laughs) both deacons and and priests. So he could could lop that off in a second. It should be the pastor's job to find the best person to preach on Sunday. And as you know, that's not always the pastor. In your case, I'm not saying, Mm because I don't experience your preaching, but uh, the pastors should realize that the charisma of preaching does not necessarily come with the imposition of hands and ordination. And if, you, if you, one of your main jobs, is, which is what the bishops, the Catholic bishops of the United States have said, if one of your main jobs is to provide a good homily on Sunday, mm-hmm. you've got to do that, even if the person doing it is wearing a dress. And you can find a lot of women who are theologically well-educated and who have the charism of preaching. That's not to say that women can't preach, Bradley, but you know, let's give it a shot. He could do that very easily, and I know there would be a lot of pushback against that. But that doesn't involve ordination, either Mm -hmm. to the diaconate or to the priesthood. It just involves giving the people in the pews an opportunity to hear a different voice uh, for those ten minutes a week that, that are maybe the only exposure they have to any kind of theology.
0: We're talking here with Bob Keeler. I mentioned earlier in the program uh, a a winner of the Pulitzer Prize for his writing about parish life. Um, You know, I I hear what you're saying loud and clear, but what I hear, a related complaint, is since we can't staff the parishes with American priests, we bring in priests from other lands. Oh, yeah. Uh, Now, I I would disagree with you on one thing. I I do listen to the other guys in that we are one of those parishes that from day one of the pandemic has put the Mass online And uh, and so every day I get to listen to my brothers. One is from uh, uh, Ghana, another is from the Philippines, and one is an American guy. But uh, it's good to listen to each other. And and actually, they happen to be two foreign guys who uh, speak better American English than many American guys. So we're very blessed. But I do hear the complaint, especially at pre cana that I go and the priest has a, a, a foreign accent. I can't understand what he's saying. It's a waste of my time. Bob, do you have any insight into what we're supposed to do about the generosity of these wonderful men who come from other lands but do have a difficulty in communicating
1: well you know if you dial up the phone and you're going to buy something on the phone you'll talk to somebody who sounds like he or she is from iowa that mm. person may have had a really bad accent a little while ago but there are companies that specialize in accent reduction so if we're going to in- in coordinate these priests from foreign countries. And, you know, it's great for them because, in many cases, they're coming from countries where life is a lot tougher than it is in this country. Mm -hmm. So their life is better. And, yes, we have a shortage of priests, Uh, although William Francis Murphy once said in a Newsday article that we don't have a shortage of priests. And I remember my wife and I were traveling in Wales right after that. And, you know, I'm still one of these guys who I write, in my prefrontal cortex, the part of my brain that makes decisions, I know that the Creator of the universe is not going to send me to eternal damnation for missing one Sunday mass. Mm-hmm. But in my amygdala, my lizard brain, I'm, sorry, I'm go to mass. So we're staying in this little town in Wales. The Sunday mass is a nine thirty mass, but unfortunately, we're leaving at nine o'clock on Sunday morning. So I said to my wife, "Let's take a bus to this other town." This is a lot in a little country like Wales. So I said to her, look, when we get to the church, at least we're going to hear Mass in a sort of a lovely Welsh accent. And Mm. so who walks up the aisle? But a priest from India. And Uh so for the first 15 minutes of Mass, I'm not paying attention to Mass. I'm writing an email to William Francis Murphy, (laughs) who said that there's no priest shortage. And I'm at Wales listening to an Indian priest. So what I'm saying is, all right, if you're gonna incarnate priests because there's a priest shortage, you hear me, William Francis Murphy? At least make sure that you pay whatever it takes to get them to reduce the accent that keeps people from being able to hear what they're preaching. I don't think that's too big an investment.
0: Now, so for our listeners and watchers around the world, uh, the, the reference that Bob Killer made is to the former bishop of the Diocese Rockland, Center, where Bob has lived and worked much of his uh, career. This Bishop Murphy is now retired. But I mention that, too, because the other thing that we hear, Bob, about uh, the problem of people going to church, especially, again, through the young couples who come to Precana, is uh, and they're still outraged, not without sufficient reason, over both the fact that some priests did terrible things to kids, and even more horrified, in some cases, by those who would have covered it up. Now, you know, for our listeners around the world, Bob Keeler's an interesting guy and in that uh, a lot of people I deal with in the world of journalism— Quite frankly, uh, usually cynical about people of faith, uh, don't practice themselves. we got a guy here who uh, is a journalist and a, a real credential, very talented one, but he also happens to be a practicing and believing Catholic. So I, I take what you say seriously, and I guess I'm asking, when this stuff broke over the past 20 to 30 years ago, how did you respond, and, and has the Church done, in your estimation, what it needs to do to make sure this doesn't happen again?
1: Well... You know, the Suffolk County District Attorney, as you remember, uh, who currently is a guest of the government uh, in the right. Crossbar Hotel, uh, but in his favor, one must remember that he did a, a full investigation, mm-hmm. uh, and Dennis Dillon, who was the Nassau County District Attorney and an Opus Dei guy, did not do an investigation. So in that investigation, uh, they mentioned Priest A, Priest F, Priest A. Unfortunately, I knew one of the priests uh, who was in our parish. Uh, it was a young guy, and uh, who, in the uh, in the uh, report, was said to have turned to the crucifix on the wall as he's about to take this kid off and abuse him, and saying to Jesus on the crucifix, "I'll deal with you later." So, was I ticked off about that? Yes, I was. Uh, am I, you know, did, did the bishops do the wrong thing? Absolutely. The bishops were there. Was so much concerned about the institutions you know, scandalizing the faithful or confusing the faithful, uh, that they didn't do the right thing in terms of of, of reporting these guys to, to, you know, the the authorities and so on. And it, it even extended all the way up to Carl Wojtyla, uh, you know, people calling him Pope St. John Paul II. And I loved him a lot when he was walking around because of his language facility, because of his biography. You know, he was run over by, almost by a Nazi truck. And then you know, then when he was replaced by a pope who actually drove a Nazi truck, which was a, which was a difficult moment for me. Uh, but you know, John Paul did not do what he could have done, and he is known to have, uh, you know, gone along with this guy Marcel Marcel de de Goyado from the Legionaries of Christ, and, and not you know crack down on him. So it makes me think maybe there should be a Sacred Congregation of Oops in the Vatican. For dehaloization, I I don't know anybody's going to dehaloize Carl Voitiva, but uh, you know all the way up to Carl Voitiva, people, the bishops in the church made a lot of mistakes in not dealing with this issue properly. Mm-hmm. So it still now, goes on.
0: Let me ask you, Bishop Jim Daly was once head of personnel in our diocese, auxiliary bishop who's now in heaven. But I, I remember asking him on one of those uh, TV programs of the diocese, you know, like you had a personnel and you had priests who did bad things and uh, and you move them to other parishes. but he said that back then uh, they would take them send them off to a, a place where they would get their heads shrunk a bit and uh, and that they were told by a professional therapist that this guy could go back and function and not hurt kids again. He said we now know that can't happen that you know but but do you believe that Jim Daly and people like him uh, were doing what they thought at the time was the best they could do get get the guy help and then perhaps bring him
1: back. Well, there's a scale there. I'm sure that there was a mixture of their thinking it was the right thing to do or they looking over their shoulder at the bishop in the next office uh, and and not knowing what, you know what the bishop would say if they if they were to try and get rid of this guy altogether. So it was you know it was a difficult time for everybody. But yeah. you know, to get back to Francis, mm-hmm. I think you know it, it's useful to talk about some of the things that he has done. I mean, i I found it amusing to read a piece recently by Tom Reese, you know, who's a Mm -hmm. uh, former editor of America magazine, who exited that job when Ratzinger was the Pope. And when he learned that Francis had been elected, uh, he uttered uh, an impolite word, which is exactly what I did when I learned that Ratzinger was elected. Uh, So it was kind of interesting to see that, because he thought that Francis was way too conservative, as a Jesuit, uh, leader of the Jesuit province in Argentina, he had been too authoritarian.
0: Mm-hmm. But,
1: you know, one of my favorite pieces I ever wrote for Newsday was a piece that I wrote after I left Newsday. Um, you know, when Ratzinger resigned, they asked me to write a piece about him. I did that. And then the day before the conclave to elect a new pope, I wrote a column. And I said at the end of the column uh, that our church is a drastically in need of repair at the moment, as it was in the time of St. Francis of Assisi. And I hope that the new Pope, whoever he turns out to be, names himself Pope Francis. And so, naturally, he's a favorite of mine from the start, because he yeah. listened obviously he didn't listen to me, but he made me look like a prophet of some description. And he's acted like St. Francis. He's, he's, yeah. uh, he's been concerned about the poor. He's been simple you know he's done away with a lot of monarchical stuff starting from the moment he appeared on the balcony Mm -hmm. uh and he cares about the planet cares about the planet just like saint francis and so his his encyclical uh uh laudato si has been very influential not only within the church but outside the church so i think that's a lot for him to have accomplished
0: okay now let's take a look at something that uh, you hear and i hear from people Uh, you would think because he's an open-minded guy, a so-called progressive, that he'd be open to uh, any movement of the spirit that helps people to get closer to God. So what do you read into, Bob Keeler? the the idea of uh, effectively shutting down the Tridentine mass? There's a guy, Harrison Butker, who uh, kicked the winning kick in the last Super Bowl, who is an altar server, along with his uh, wife and children, they attend a, a traditional Latin mass. And in one interview, he just said, you know, uh, I, I find I can meet the Lord very closely in this particular setting. I'm not hurting anyone. I go to pray, and uh, it's, it's a Mass that was certainly acceptable to the Church for a long, long time. So why is my Holy Father attempting to shut down the way in which I find God? Uh, what do we say to those people, Bob?
1: Well, we say to those people, can you speak Latin? So I once wrote a long piece about Mother Angelica, and I went to her convent you know, in, in Alabama, Mm-hmm. One of my lifetime goals was to never have been in Alabama. But I went there to cover this. And I'm sitting there, and when the nuns are on one side of the of the, the wall or whatever the screen, the and girls. the cameras are above or zooming around, looking at everybody at mass. And the Latin is going on in the mass from the presider. But I'm looking around. I don't see your lips moving. I don't see anybody following the Latin. I know my Latin. I used to have these mm. conversations with Mario Cuomo. I call him on the phone. And he would say, "Killer, say you should ship out." So I'd say, "So ship out, Dominus, I can feed you. I'm demanding two. We said laudamus Dominus, I don't till he talked him. Coquid nos, Dominus, great. Colusiae, two, we Okay, Gov, it's me. Can we talk now? <laughs> so I know my Latin, but a lot of folks don't know their Latin. It's it's sort of wishful thinking, going back to those good old days before you know before Vatican II. Like all these young newly ordains now. Who weren't mm-hmm. alive before Vatican II, but want to go back to the good old days before Vatican II. So it's kind of, it's kind of bogus in a way, uh, th- this whole devotion. And I love Latin. Mm-hmm. I talk it all the time. You know, I studied in a prep seminary and won Latin prizes and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it, I don't think it really means as much to people as they like to think it means. It's It's a way of embracing the past. But Mm -hmm. I don't really think they're getting anything out of the Mass. But most people don't speak Latin.
0: Okay, but but you're saying that if a guy like Harrison Butker uh, understands what he's praying, that it may be a legitimate way for him to get closer to God.
1: It may be so, but I think that that the Pope is making the calculus. I don't Mm -hmm. read his mind, but I think he's probably making the calculus that this is a way of digging in and bucking against the reforms of Vatican II without, you know, without real meaning for a lot of people. And mm. as I said, I witnessed that right there in the, in that convent in Alabama, where presumably the people who go there are pretty devout Catholics. Otherwise, why would be they be hanging out with Mother Angelica?
0: Okay. So, In your mind, was
1: she a plus for the church? I remember the story about her conversion. Uh, she was, she was Cleaning the floor with one of those powerful cleaning machines. Mm-hmm. And somehow or other, the machine got into its head to slam her into a wall. And it did a significant damage to her. She was really badly hurt. And she then decided that uh, she told God, I'm making a bargain with you, God. If, if I get well, I'm going to establish a monastery or a convent in the most desperately southern part of America. And she couldn't have done better than Birmingham, Alabama where every other church is a Baptist church and there's not much Catholic going on. Mm. I remember being there when she walked out for the start of the show. And, you know, you and I, we tend to prepare for things, I think. But not Mother Angelica. She started out, so what are we talking about today? I'm going, oh, my God, how could you have a show? like? So I found her a strange person. EWTN, I don't watch it enough to know how good or how bad it is.
0: Please stay with us. We'll be back with more of our interview with Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Bob Keeler in just a moment. It's pretty amazing when you consider that seven years ago, we didn't have the treatments we have now. We cure 80% of children with cancer. Go back 50 years, we were curing 20 to 30%. This is the miracle story of modern medicine. We understand what makes this cancer tick. And of course, without donors from around the world, this just couldn't happen. There's one thing we're focused on, and that's beating this thing. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures. Saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Welcome back to Personally Speaking. I'm on Senior Jim Lasanti, your host. Uh, Glad to have back on our program Bob Keeler, who is the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist who has written about the Catholic Church. I know for some people listening to a guy like Bob Keeler, they'll find him uh, sarcastic, flip, and and, uh, strongly opinionated, but uh, that's part of his charm, actually. And the show is called Personally Speaking, so I wouldn't want Bob to come on here and uh, give me a line that's not something he believes. Now, the other part of Bob Kill that I wanted to talk about, because the Pope talks about it all the time, he celebrates family life, is Bob is not a single guy. He was in the seminary once, but he found himself in love and married Judith. Um, Why, Judith?
1: Well, first of all, let me just correct that a little bit. There was a prep seminary. It was a six-year prep seminary. Okay. I discovered in the first four years that I was good at manufacturing paragraphs. I had an inkling that I might not be good at celibacy. Okay. Uh, I had no way of knowing that because the way in which the prep seminary uh, dealt with the problem of women was to uh, be off on Thursdays and be in school on Saturdays. That way your okay. opportunity to be in the presence of, you know, a woman was significantly reduced. So it was a long t- I left there in 61. Okay. Uh, I left after the four years of the high school. And then I was in college in Fordham. Uh, I dropped out in 65. Because mm-hmm. I had a four O index and I was afraid of getting B plus, uh, so I was kind of neurotic. Uh, but I didn't even meet Judy until the latter part of '65 when I was about to be, you know, inducted into the army.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so we wrote back and forth. Uh, she was at my going away party. We wrote letters back and forth, and tapes back and forth, and we got to know each other that uh, well over that period of time. So. Uh, you know, I hadn't dated much, thanks to thanks to the rules of PrEP seminaries. By the way, that's one of my gripes about uh, making people make decisions uh, at age 13. I decided at age 13 I was going to be a priest. Why? I have no freaking idea. But, you know, somebody should not be allowed to make a decision that affects the rest of their life so profoundly before their prefrontal cortex is fully developed. Nor should they be allowed to enlist in the military until they're at least 25, I, I recommend the draft age be 55. We'll, we'll have a lot fewer wars that way. You know?
0: Okay. And by the way, will you make that same application to uh, parents who encourage their kids to follow their dream, to become a man or woman when they, when they are born the opposite?
1: Oh boy, there we go. Uh, <laughs> my view of trans, the whole trans issue is right. that, you know, it's difficult enough when you're certain of your sexuality, mm-hmm. but when it's when it's something that you feel at your heart is uncertain. You don't feel comfortable in this body. And I've known people who are in that in that realm, people in my life, uh, and gay people. those people are suffering to a large extent because they don't feel comfortable with their own existence. We ought not to be we ought not to be coming down on them mm-hmm. and making them suffer more. Okay. uh that's not you know something that Jesus would do i
0: mentioned before that bob is a uh, well respected journalist but he's also as i mentioned as well a family man bob did, did you and judy come up with any particular way i have parents and grandparents watching and listening to a program like this w- was there a way to share your values with your children that was effective uh
1: well i have to say that you know we have two daughters Mm-hmm. Uh One of them is a minister, ah. and one of them is a Wicca. Okay. So, you know, we're batting 500. Uh, ah. we, we, we gave both of our daughters, we brought them to church. Right. We had them baptized, we had them confirmed. We showed up at church every Sunday ourselves, we brought them along. You know, I, and I have a, my 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 younger daughter has an MDiv degree uh, mm-hmm. from Western Jesuit School of Theology. And she ultimately split with the church over clericalism. Uh, And now she's a pastor in a very large social justice oriented evangelical church. Mm -hmm. I'm very proud of her. She's a way better Christian than I am, a way better Christian than I am. I love to listen to her preach. And, you know, uh, my other daughter, for whatever reason, just hasn't really been able to deal with Christianity. She told me one time that she's, following the way of Wicca? I, I don't know. So, you know, there are no magic formula. You see people who uh, whose kids go in many different directions, no matter what mm. the parents provided them in terms of example or uh, Christianity, the whole nine yards.
0: I'd like to thank Bob Keel for being with us and personally speaking. Uh, uh, some of you who listen and watch a program like this, May disagree with them strongly, agree with them strongly, but our point has always been to allow people to speak their mind. And the thing about Bob is uh, what he just said—he's he's still hanging in. He's not quitting this church. He he can see lots of stuff that needs improvement, but he he loves his God, and he happens to love the manifestations of God's love that comes properly sometimes through the church. And I'm just so grateful for his honesty. We are called, personally speaking, and one thing about Bob Killer is. He personally speaks his mind, and I'm grateful to him for that. Bob, thank you for being with us on the program, and uh, and and I hope to see you again soon.
1: I hope your program does not suffer too much from my appearance.
0: Thank you for being with us today. If you have any comments or questions, and want to reach me, you can get me at personally speaking podcast at gmail You know that in addition to listening, if you are on Sirius XM to Personally Speaking, you can also see us on YouTube by going under Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti. You can watch this show or watch past shows as well. And please, if you would, hit like and subscribe. Facebook is also carrying us at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti. And now we're also on Instagram at Personally Speaking Podcast. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandavitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.